0: Way back in the early 1900s, the leaders in the newborn aviation industry were all fellows. The Wilbur and Orville Wright brothers and Charles Lindbergh, they were the big names in flying. But Amelia Earhart changed all that. During World War I, Amelia served as a Red Cross nurse's aide in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. During that time, she watched pilots in the Royal Flying Corps train at a local airfield in Toronto. That exposure to flying may be what birthed the love for aviation in Amelia, After the war, she returned to these United States and enrolled at Columbia University in New York as a pre-med student, but she never lost her love for flight. She took her first airplane ride in California back in 1920 with famed World War I pilot Frank Hawks, and she was forever hooked. The next month, she started flying lessons with a female flight instructor, Nita Snook. To help pay for the lessons, Earhart worked as a filing clerk in L.A., She saved up her money. She purchased her first airplane. That is not cheap. It was a yellow Kenner Airster she named the Canary. Amelia passed her flight test and earned a National Aeronautics Association license in December of that same year. Two days later, she participated in an exhibition flight at the Sierra Airdrome in Pasadena. From there, she went on to set several aviation records in a short career. She was the first woman to fly solo above 14,000 feet. Ten years later, she was the first woman and second person total after Charles Lindbergh to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. Her transatlantic flight is arguably her most notable record. In fact, Congress awarded her the Distinguished Flying Cross, a military decoration awarded for heroism or extraordinary achievement while participating in an aerial flight. She was also the first woman to receive that honor. Later that year, Amelia Earhart was the first woman to complete a solo, non-stop flight across the United States. She took off in Los Angeles and landed 19 hours later in Newark, New Jersey. Amelia Earhart worked hard to open the door for women to become aviators. She helped form the 99s, an international organization for the advancement of female pilots. Now there are women pilots from countries all around the world. Although men mainly flew at that time, nobody could question Amelia Earhart's expertise and experience in the cockpit. She was a female hero. Come to think of it, she might have been a little bit like Deborah in Judges chapter 4. And who's Deborah? That's a great question, and I'm going to answer that right after this. Welcome to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast, brought to you by Word of Flame Curriculum and the Pentecostal Publishing House. This podcast encourages adult disciples to think deeply about God's Word, further develop their personal relationship with Jesus Christ, and make a greater commitment to the purpose and plan of God for their lives. Let's dive into today's lesson and explore what it means to live out God's Word in our lives. Good day to you, God's Word for Life listeners. You're listening to L.J. Harry. I'm your God's Word for Life Companion Podcast host, and you're listening to the God's Word for Life Companion Podcast. Happy to be with you. We are taking a look at a lesson that is dated May 7th, 2023, entitled, God Brings Victory. And our passage that we're going to read from is in Judges 4, verses 22 to 24. Behold, as Barak pursued Sisera, Jael came out to meet him and said unto him, Come, and I will show you the man whom you seek. And when he came into her tent... Behold, Sisera lay dead, and the nail was in his temples. Ay, hi, ay. So God subdued on that day Jabin, the king of Canaan, before the children of Israel. And the hand of the children of Israel prospered and prevailed against Jabin, the king of Canaan, until they had destroyed Jabin, the king of Canaan. Interesting note, but my daughter's middle name is Jael, and we named her, yes, after this J.L. in Judges chapter 4. J.L. was quite the brave one. And J-L is L-J, pronounced backwards, so there's that. But God's calling is to individuals. Some people have heard God speak in dreams. Others have seen him in visions. Barak received God's call to the prophecy of Deborah. She was a judge and a prophetess back in Israel. And she sent Barak a message, a direct message, it might have been a text, as a commandment that had come from God. Go and draw toward Mount Tabor. and Take with thee 10,000 men of the children of Naphtali and of the children of Zebulun. I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots, his multitude, and I will deliver him into your hand. Thank God for that. And that quickly brings us to our first question. Can we allow God to speak to us through the inspired word of another? In this very tumultuous time of the judges, Israel's repeated failure to follow God led to oppression by her neighbors. But when Israel repented and cried out to God for deliverance, he often brought them back supernaturally restored them. Their gradual backsliding, though, kept leading them into repeated apostasy. They just continued to make those same errors and mistakes and mishaps again and again and again. And God again allowed their enemies to bring judgment so he could correct their sinful behavior. God used leaders called judges to lead Israel back to victory and into right relationship with God. Throughout the book of Judges, we see this repetitious cycle of rebellion, repression, repentance, and restoration. That's for all of you alliteration fans out there. That continued. Each time the tribes of Israel sank lower into immorality and sin and became more depraved like the pagan people around them, God's desire to be in covenant relationship with his people was not realized. However, God revealed his mercy through his continual love for his people, and that love moved him to respond to their repentance and bring deliverance from their oppression. The grace of God is so much greater than we could ever imagine. Among those northern tribes, King Jabin served as God's judgment when Deborah became a judge in Ephraim. The commander of Jabin's army was a a pretty strong, strapping lad named Sisera and he had been Jabin's strong arm for two decades, and he had gained a pretty infamous reputation for just being cruel. After 20 years of intense oppression, Israel again cried out to God in repentance and pled for him to deliver them. And God heard their prayers, and he began a plan for victory. God prompted the call and command for Barak to take action, and he stirred Sisera at the same time to deploy his host of troops and chariots to prepare for battle. God was in all of this. So when Deborah spoke this prophetic word of God's calling to Barak, she also prophesied victory that would come from the battle. God told them, I will deliver Sisera into your hand. When God declares victory, there's no need for doubt or despair. The conclusion is already determined. God will bring victory. He knows every detail of our situation, our calling, our responsibility. He knows exactly how it's all going to turn out before it ever turns out. He's omniscient. He knows all. He doesn't speak prematurely. He's already seen the outcome. He anticipates every roadblock, every turn of events along the way. He knows well the path we will take and the pitfalls and the struggles we will face on the journey. So here's our second question. How does knowing that God has the end in view help us face what we face right now? God called Barak to lead the military against Jabin's army, and he gave Barak the strategy for the battle to guarantee victory. This should be a cakewalk. And yet, despite this assurance of success in victory, Barak was not so sure. He resisted this call from God, and he shared this concern and protest with Deborah. Barak was reluctant to accept this leadership role God was calling him to. He even refused to go to battle unless Deborah would go with him which, in my opinion, is a pretty good idea because we know Deborah can hear from God, and so when you're on the battlefield, you want somebody who can hear from God. Some skeptics have accused Barak of cowardice because he was dependent on Deborah. But Barak was a competent leader. He he was able to rally 10,000 men from the tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun to prepare for war, risk their own lives. He was a good leader. I think his reluctance was out of admiration for Deborah. Deborah had this spiritual walk with God, this leadership, this desire to have the presence of God with him. And certainly the prophetess Deborah had the presence of God with her. And so he said, you come along with me and we're going to be okay. And Deborah agreed. But she warned him that the honor for this win would go to a woman. It was typical to see men in military and leadership positions, but it's pretty noteworthy to see Deborah as a judge and prophetess in Israel, especially back in that patriarchal day. And yet she emerges as a heroine who brought an end to the cruel oppression of King Jabin's army commander, the very cruel Sisera. Here's another question. What other notable women do you recall from biblical history? This is a really good question that is almost on the eve of Mother's Day. So we certainly see some wonderful, powerful, strong, godly God-called women. In Scripture, what other ones do you recall? When God gives us his word and confirms his calling, our response should be faith and courage, not doubt and timidity. In humility, we may never feel adequate for the task to which we're called, and that's okay. In ourselves, we're not adequate. We may feel ill-equipped and underqualified, and that's okay too, because in ourselves, hey, we're not well-equipped and we're not quite qualified. But God always qualifies the ones he calls. He'll never task us with something impossible, but rather enables us to achieve what he gives us the power to achieve. We can accomplish the will of God, not because we're great, but because he is. Paul wrote in Romans, For the gifts and calling of God are without repentance, Romans 11, verse 29. God doesn't make mistakes. He's never called somebody and changed his mind because that person wasn't able to do what he called them to do. The psalmist David wrote, As a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him, for he knows our frame and remembers we are dust. Psalm 103, verses 13 to 14. God knows. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our limitations. He created us. He knows our ability, our inability. And yet he continues to qualify and enable us by his grace and through his spirit. Think about your own life. What difficult tasks has God asked of you? And how has he enabled you to get it done? God is never nervous about the outcome or worried about surprise, obstacle. Whoa, I didn't see that one coming. He sees the end from the beginning. He knows every difficulty and problem we will face along the way, and he already has the solution. Our God will not give us more responsibility than we can carry, or he require us to carry it alone. Draw courage from the promises of God's inspired word. When God Himself said, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, Matthew twenty eight, verse twenty. He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it, Philippians one verse six. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, 2 Peter 3, verse 9. Sometimes God chooses the most unlikely participants to work out his plan and the most creative solutions to bring about a win. God had a surprise ending for the commander of Jabin's army. Cicero never suspected his death had been predetermined before he entered the battle. But as a moth is drawn to flame... Cicero was irresistibly drawn into war out of this arrogant confidence that his forces and chariots of iron could never be defeated. He thought he was indomitable, but he wasn't. As agreed, Deborah accompanied Beric into battle, and Beric summoned 10,000 warriors from his native tribe of Naphtali and his neighboring tribe of Zebulun. They gathered near Mount Tabor as Cicero rallied his forces and his chariots of iron to attack. And Deborah assured Beric that This was the battle she predicted. This was the win God had guaranteed. And so Deborah commanded, Up, for this is the day in which the Lord has delivered Sisera into your hand. Is not the Lord gone out before you? Judges 4, verse 14. That very simple question, is not the Lord gone out before you? Gave Barak all the courage he needed to prepare for a battle that looked impossible to win. There was no way they could hope to overthrow the Canaanites by their own strength and limited weapons. The enemy's horses and chariots would run them over, would overcome their very weak defenses. To move forward in faith, Barak needed Deborah's assurance of the Lord's promises and presence. And Deborah said, the Lord, he goes before you. Because when the Lord goes before us, we have no reason to fear. God was several steps ahead of Israel, staging the details for the victory. While the exact portrait of the battle is kind of blurry, we know that God went before Barak and brought confusion and terror to disorient King Jabin's mighty troops. It was almost like they were fighting an invisible host. Their confusion frightened even the well-trained warriors. Some scholars suggested the chariots were not as effective in the mountains as they were on the plains. And the enemy abandoned their horses and chariots, and they fled in fear before Barak and his forces. All the chariots were useless before the hand of the Lord God. Now, those under Barak's leadership were bold. They pursued the Canaanites as they retreated for their lives. And Barak's army pursued them all the way to their homes and slew them with the sword all the way. Victory was so complete, Judges 4 records, all the hosts of Syria fell upon the edge of the sword and there was not a man left. That is complete victory. The Lord fought for Barak and Barak and his army destroyed all their enemies. But In the chaos, what about Sisera? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. In the chaos, Sisera abandoned his chariot and fled on foot. He was intent he was going to escape capture, and he certainly was going to escape certain death. He could expect no mercy after all the cruelty he had inflicted on their people. Sisera fled and found the camp of Eber the Kenite. King Jabin had made an alliance with him, so Sisera felt safe there. He desperately needed rest and refreshment. He met Eber's wife, Jael. And she welcomed Sisera in her tent to rest. Come on in here, bud. You can rest in here. He asked for water, probably demanded it. And she brought him milk. Then she gave Sisera a blanket, and she promised to stand guard at the door. Jael patiently waited until his exhaustion and the milk met together, and he fell asleep. And as he slept, she stealthily raised a tent peg and a mallet, aimed for the side of his head, and drove the peg through his head and into the ground. Sisera never woke up. This cruel commander died at the hands of a woman. Beric thoroughly routed the armies of Canaan, and he turned his attention to bringing the commander of their army to justice. He was looking for Sisera. He tracked the leader to the camp of the Kenites, and that's where Beric met Jael. She invited him in. I I think I have somebody you'd like to see. So she invited Barak in to see Sisera lying dead there in her tent. Through this heroic act, Jael became the honored champion of the story as she brought an end to Sisera's cruel regime. King Jabin and his kingdom were completely destroyed. God gave Barak and the tribes of Israel deliverance from their oppression, fulfilling Deborah's prophecy. And just as Deborah prophesied, this honor was given to a woman, Jael, for the victory over Sisera. <laughs> I get it and I agree. That's graphic. And it's disturbing. And yet it details the life in Israel during the book of Judges. It may seem very distant, very irrelevant, because in our times, we don't really see that kind of cruelty happen all the time. But every biblical account gives us insight into God's involvement in our lives. Paul wrote concerning the experiences Israel had in the wilderness. These things happened unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11. Bringing us to our last question. What application can we make to spiritual battles and conflicts from this particular story in Judges 4? Our battles are more mental, emotional, spiritual. And yet we can have the self-same confidence in God's ability to bring us through to victory because Jesus Christ fights our battles and pushes back against every effort of the enemy. Our faith is in God. No power can resist Him. No foe can defeat Him. With his Holy Spirit operating in our lives, we are a powerful force for the kingdom of God and for good. Answering the call of God becomes a natural response, and all things become possible through faith in him. All right, let's wrap this up. How many times have I told you? Brenda ran through the doorway as she slammed the door behind her. She slid across the freshly mopped hallway and into the decorative hall tree, which toppled and fell against the curio cabinet. Everything rattled and shifted before an antique teacup crashed from the glass shelf to the floor. Her mom rushed into the room, her hand covering her mouth in anxious premonition of what she would find following the catastrophic noise and the complete silence. She saw Brenda sitting on the floor wide-eyed as she viewed the disaster. She exploded. How many times have I told you to slow down? Look what you've done! Mother and daughter both shed their share of tears as they cleaned up the shattered teacup and scattered pieces. Brenda apologized for not listening, and her mother assigned her extra chores to reinforce the lesson. Brenda dried her tears and promised to do better. Of course, they both knew this was not the last time something would be broken. Mother would have to instruct and correct her daughter again. It's part of the process of growth and maturity for most. Some never seem to learn the lessons and reform their behavior. Some seem destined to repeat offenses perpetually and never learn from their mistakes or remember the lessons taught. Every parent has probably used that rhetorical question more than a few times. How many times have I told you? Sometimes it seems children just don't listen. They forget or they are testing the boundaries again. When things don't work out well and their disobedience catches up with them, their parents find themselves scolding their children again. How many times have I told you not to throw a ball in the house? How many times have I said no cookies before dinner? (laughs) Sorry. How many times have I told you not to ride your bike in the street? Perhaps that is the way God felt about Israel. How many times had he warned them against idolatry? Or cautioned them about participating in pagan practices at the high places? Or reminded them of the commandments and called them to obedience? How many times had Israel resolved to do better but failed? How often had they been lured by the enticements of the Canaanite culture and tempted by their sensual cult? As a loving parent, God sought for those who would embrace his covenant and commit to his commandments. He planned victory and success for all those who simply follow his plan. Over and over, God has assured us of his great love. God has promised victory in an overcoming life to everyone who submits to him and desires to become his disciple. How many times has he told us, I love you and I will never leave you nor forsake you. We have the assurance of his love the promise of a victorious outcome. All thanks be to God. I'd like to pray for God to help us to hear his call for our lives. Maybe you're a Deborah, and God is calling you to something that nobody else has ever done before, or maybe nobody else is willing to do. Or you're maybe you're a Barak, and you've been in leadership, and you've got some fear, and you're concerned about how it's all going to turn out, and yet God is calling you to be courageous and to trust in him. Maybe you're a JL and God is calling you to be bold and be strong and be courageous to do what he needs you to do. Whatever God is calling you to do, let's pray right now for God to help us to answer. Give us the faith to answer the call, no matter the cost. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this great privilege to be called. Called to do your work. Called to be your ambassador. Called to glorify you, to make disciples for you. What an honor, what a privilege. Help us, Jesus, to do what you've called us to do. Help us, Lord, to live in a way that honors and glorifies you, to be courageous, to have faith, to trust you will win every battle, and you will give us the victory as we trust you, as we put our faith in you. Help us, Lord Jesus, to do boldly, courageously what you are calling us to do, to look to you, to trust you, and to follow after you, Lord. We love you today, Jesus. Give us great faith to trust you, and we thank you and praise you in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much, God's Word for Life listeners. Hope this episode's been a blessing to you. Be sure to subscribe and share and follow and like, and you'll never miss an episode Anytime God's Word for Life episodes drop, which is typically around Friday noon or so, Eastern time. You'll be able to follow right along and continue walking with us through this God's Word for Life series. Head over to PentecostalPublishing.com and use gwfl L one zero. That's It's God's Word for Life, the number 10. At checkout, get 10% off your order. It's a one-time use promo code. So if you've already used it, I'm very sorry. Cannot use it again. But pick up these resources, as well as some other great resources. You can get God's Word for Life lesson guide, daily devotional guide, you can get the God's Word for Life lesson leaves for class. You can get the God's Word for Life resource kit, which comes with videos for each one of our lessons that helps explain a little bit better the text, the story, the culture, the custom, gives a testimony. They're great in that resource kit. You can pick those up, all of that. Pentecostalpublishing.com, addition to Bibles, Bible studies, devotionals, music, you name it, we've got it. Use promo code GWFL10 at checkout. Next week, we continue in this month of May brand new series called God, Our Judge and King, and we're sticking in the book of Judges. We're going to go to Judges 6, and I want to share with you an episode called Gideon and the Strength of Honesty. I'm looking forward to sharing that with you next week, and always look forward to learning and living out God's Word for Life. Thank you for listening to God's Word for Life Lesson Companion Podcast